I V M. What is the GDP and why is the world so obsessed with GDP growth? We associate human well-being with the growth in the GDP, but are there better measures? What do the two world wars and the rise of Hitler have to do with all of this? Find out more on this episode of the Pragati Podcast. The Pragati Podcast is a weekly talk show on economics, public policy, and international affairs. We are your hosts, Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. From the best of political television to dodgy scams, from the Doklam crisis to Delhi's parking policy, we discuss it all here. We bring you the best of analysis and views out of Bangalore about what's happening in the country and in the world. Check out more episodes of the Pragati podcast on thinkpragati.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. Send us your questions, comments and brickbats by writing to podcast at thinkpragati.com or find us on Twitter at hamsinihh and at zeusisdead. On this episode of the Pragati podcast, we dive deep into the origins, the evolution and the future of the gross domestic product, a number that's shaped the modern world as we know it. Joining us on this podcast is Anupam Manur, fellow and faculty at the Takshashila Institution and a macroeconomist by training. Anupam, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Anupam, for a number that's everywhere, the GDP doesn't mean anything obvious at first glance. Unpack the term for us. Gross domestic product. None of those words make immediate apparent sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think you should start off with the P aspect of it, which is the product. Okay. And product here means output. All right. So GDP is nothing but a measurement of output in an economy, uh which is another way of saying you want to measure economic activity in the economy. Is the economy sluggish? Is it growing? Is it not growing? You want to get a sense of it and, and GDP. And this economy, I mean, we say it in just one word, but it's this beast right that we can't fully imagine it's all kinds of people buying and selling all kinds of things and services and um, people investing in things importing and exporting things i mean a country the size of india's or just any country's economy has so much happening right yeah i mean forget about you're talking about such a big scale i would say any household has so much economic activity taking place uh, even starting from a father giving pocket allowance uh, to his son uh, to spend it right and then he goes and spends it what kind of uh, things happen there what does he spend it on does he save does he you know so on and so forth right so that's all part of uh, economic activity and then you extrapolate it to the national level uh, then you have you know crazy amount of economic activity taking place in different categories what does the gdp measure so gdp essentially measures uh, as i said economic activity in a country and this economic activity can be classified under consumption investment uh, and uh, basically uh, these are the two big things right and then you have consumption by private individuals and the government uh you have investment by again individuals government by the private sector so basically sector. you are spending money to uh, gain something today or you're spending money to gain something tomorrow exactly that's the only difference between consumption and investment essentially right? yes all right and uh, so when people talk about national income is it the same thing yes so national income accounting is the the biggest measure out there of that's what measuring economic activity and calculating people's income within a particular geographical area right one of the ways to do that is the gdp you have of course different measures you have the gnp you have the nnp and so on which we'll probably get into later on so we sort of measuring economic activity in an economy we are sort of measuring the national income in some way uh, but uh, 
how do you do this and where did people start i think you, the important question is why do we do this and for that again you have to go back to your question which is how did it start so the the earliest kind of measurement of national income uh, was by kings and so on who wanted to gauge how much money do people have so that he knows how much to tax them and take it away okay right so if if not money it would also be how many cattle do they have how much uh, grains do they have etc so that they could take it away right so you can't take away more than what they have so first you needed to know how much they have and there's some things that people need to keep to spend to invest in the next year and so on yeah if not the king would not have anything next year so you sort of need to know the denominator so that you can know how much precisely you can take away right so that okay. that is kind of the earliest uh, evolution of you know national income accounting as such okay and uh, but it got a lot more formalized uh, i would say the starting point would be 1919 okay uh, just the end of the first world war and there were these huge war reparation requirements by the winners of the war from germany right because germany started the war etc so 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 germany had to pay up a lot of money to russia to uh the british to a lot yeah. of other people yeah so that was in the treaty of versailles which uh, they made germany sign forcefully and the reparation requirements were huge and it was first keynes who wrote the the economic consequences of peace this is john maynard keynes john maynard the keynes, legendary yeah. economist absolutely yeah <laughs> who everyone loves to hate Yeah. <laughs> so in in 1919 uh, once the treaty of versailles everything got done and i think in 23 he published this book um, basically he said that germany cannot afford to pay this okay uh, in its lifetime and if it attempts to pay it then it will go completely bankrupt because and so that was the first time when i think you try to understand and measure a country's um, income in in a given year so that's essentially gdp So basically, he found that whatever they had to pay as war reparations was more or on the same order of magnitude of, as what they were earning. Yes, precisely. So even if Germany uh, gave every single Deutsche Mark that they had earned in that year, uh, it would still not uh, meet the reparation requirements. So ultimately, you're saying that this first attempt at the GDP. a uh, first formal attempt at the gdp uh, actually uh, helped tell us that the weimar republic was going to hell absolutely and it eventually bred hyperinflation it bred so many problems and eventually led to the rise of uh, uh, hitler and uh, yeah. the nazi <laughs> people didn't listen to keynes and uh, they just went ahead with the exact requirements and uh, as keynes had predicted not in those precise terms but keynes had predicted that the economy would go bust uh, or that Germany would have to do something ex- completely drastic, and they did, which is print a lot of notes. And oh, so they started printing notes to pay off the debt. Pay off the debt, and that led to hyperinflation in 1924-1925. So, so the GDP is linked to one of the most cataclysmic events of. Uh, the 20th century yes <laughs> so that was in early 1920s at the same time uh, us was booming right the roaring 20s uh, the us economy had taken off and it was doing how as how do we know that it had taken off yeah so that is where there was also kind of early measurements of uh, economic activity in in the us not exactly in terms of gdp but i think they started using proxies for how well the economy is doing and one of the best proxies at that time was the stock market Okay, and the stock market was, uh, you know, at all times high. Every day it would reach an all time high. Okay, and, and that was a good indicator. And then you had trade indicators uh, since even before GDP, because 
you were trading with someone else some other country so you had to maintain records of you know how much do you owe and how much do they owe you all right so what happened then the great depression of the 1929s the stock markets crashed and then the us economy went off in a tailspin uh, unemployment levels at all time highs uh, you know the entire story right the really bleak picture so in 1933 woodrow wilson came up with a new plan new deal right okay. uh, basically a massive he wanted to make a massive fiscal push uh, in order to combat the great depression but in order to do that he needed to know exactly how much to spend he needed to justify it and he probably need to know how much tax he could earn exactly right uh, and where and the important thing is he also needed to know where should the fiscal money go into so uh, simon kuznets again uh, a keynesian at that point of time uh, came up with the gdp concept and it was the first formal measurement of a country's uh, economic activity was done by simon kuznets in 1934 when he presented it to the us congress so this was the beginning of the national income accounts as we know it yes yes so this was the first formal picture of a country's you know national income uh, simon kuznets in 1934 and i'm guessing that it went on to play a role in the second world war as well then absolutely so in in uh, the first use of the gdp was to basically know where the fiscal uh, pump priming should go into but uh, also next when uh, the world was on the brink of second world war and us was you know dilly dallying whether to get into it or not gdp was again used as a justification that it had enough supplies and that it had enough economic resources to get into the war so this is about 1940 so because the government has only so much money and they have to spend it on welfare healthcare and all kinds of things yeah and now there was this big fat expense called war war yeah and in a way it was said that you know this is government expenditure and since that would go up gdp would in fact go up okay if you didn't suffer losses and but you could spend a lot of money on uh, building an army on buying weapons on and even selling weapons in fact what us did uh, you, the calculation was that us gdp would go up and in fact it did after the second world war us economy soared so what you're saying essentially is that wars are good for the gdp well keynes says that the wars are good for the development of the economics <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean didn't that happen in the second world war too a whole bunch of physicists and others got into economics just after the war yeah and economics as we know it today has been shaped by war clearly exactly i mean even the general theory came about after so depression is also very good for Wait, general theory of relativity no sorry <laughs> general theory of employment income and uh, this thing right by okay. keynes so okay, like a but true economist <laughs> it's the general theory by the way for us relativity is something yeah you can ignore it but the general theory of employment income and money so uh, keynes in fact in in the, after the depression before the world war uh, the general theory came out uh, during you know depressed times uh, so there's a you know famous scenes of uh, keynes and hayek standing on top uh, cambridge towers and discussing economics when bombs are flying around and so on so it, it's very interesting tales and uh, uh, i mean i know that it's an aside but uh, everyone who's listening to this podcast should definitely go check out uh, the great economics rap battle between <laughs> hayek and keynes right, where they battle out their ideas in rap form yeah so this was until the war right and as soon as the war got over you had uh, basically the bretton woods conference right so the entire global economic system was getting revamped yeah. and new rules and new institutions were getting absolutely set so in place. uh while there was one set of institutions to prevent another war there was a uh, new and uh, 
probably equally important institutions being set up to establish a new economic order in the world with, and with a lot of trade and a lot of economic integration at least in the uh, on the other side of the iron curtain exactly so uh, the Bretton Woods conference is probably the most important meeting of world leaders in economic history right uh, because out of it came the WTO the World Bank and the IMF okay. the three biggest international institutions today um, and that was basically established to set up rules of trade uh, to set up currency exchange management right uh, so back then we had fixed exchange rates so you needed an external authority to maintain that fixed exchange rate so that countries wouldn't devalue their currencies unfairly and so along with the new monetary system across the world came the proliferation of the gdp yeah so the connection there is that since world bank was set up to give out the back then it was called the ibrd right international bank for reconstruction and development it was set up to give up loans to developing countries or countries ravaged by war and then the imf also had to maintain uh, balance of accounts of trade and also economic growth because it would give structured pro, uh, loans and so on. So for all of that, you required uh, national income right. accounting. I guess the fundamentals of when you're giving large sums of money to a country is that you presume that that country will grow. Yeah. Right? Whenever it's like investing in a person or a company, right? Precisely. You're assuming that that thing will grow at a certain rate. So over time, paying back your principal and interest should be easier. Yeah. So for that, you also needed to know what is its current state so that you right. could predict. And that's where again, GDP accounting comes into play. Okay. So, so I'm guessing that this system got in, started getting internationalized at some point. There were people who were proselytizing the process of the yes. GDP and how yeah. to measure it. Yeah. You had a national income account systems, which was a guideline set of guidelines that was published, right? Uh, which IMF and so on, everyone adhered to. And countries and were also... updating. Yes. Kept updating. Anupam, how did India fare in GDP measurements? When did we start? Do we have estimates going back to the Bretton Woods Conference? Yeah, India actually was one of the early adapters. So we started measuring GDP because RBI was already set up okay. at that point of time from by 1935. And to conduct monetary policy, you will require, you know, uh, national income accounts. Uh, so... Uh, after independence, we were one of the early, I, I don't know when exactly it started, but we were one of the early adapters of GDP. And now you have, you know, uh, GDP series backdated all the way up to, you know, pre-independence levels as well. Now that we get some context of where this comes from, uh, I'm also reminded that, you know, we tend to focus on the things that we measure and all measurement is political. Right? <laughs> so I guess, I'm guessing that the moment people started measuring the GDP, somebody wanted to increase it. Yes. Right? How do you increase something when you don't measure it? Right? Yeah. <laughs> we all want more prosperity, more income, but if you can't measure the national income, you can't increase it. Yeah, precisely. And uh, this has actually, you know, again, historical roots. Uh, back in 1962, when there was a push in America to reduce unemployment. It was Okun, uh, an economist, one of the very famous economists who came up with something called Okun's Law, now it's called as Okun's Law, uh, who said that for every 3% increase in GDP would lead to a 1% decrease in unemployment. So back then, GDP was still not the sacrosanct number as it is today, right? Unemployment is what people cared about. And uh, and even today, unemployment is what people seem to care about in the United States. Yes, yes. So, uh, uh so there was now a direct relationship between GDP and unemployment. So anyone who wanted to reduce unemployment had to target GDP. 
right okay. so uh, that's how again gdp started getting a lot more national importance in in the us and subsequently of course all over the world that's interesting you know uh, i mean our colleague nitin pai has this thing where uh, roughly every time uh, india's gdp grows up by about 1% about 2 million indians come out of poverty right so in our country where unemployment is of very fuzzy number given the size of our informal economy and agricultural economy right i mean it's how do you measure employment in india i mean it's a little fuzzy it's done through but the what is measured much better is poverty yeah and uh, i guess uh, america thought about the relationship between uh, economic growth and unemployment i think the key for india is economic growth and poverty reduction absolutely yeah and while economic growth may not be sufficient uh, for poverty reduction it is absolutely necessary necessary yeah it is it is the necessary conditions for uh, bringing people out of poverty in india we've got some sense of the historical context of how this beast called the gdp came about but now unpack it for us what what's in it how do you measure it there are actually three ways largely speaking to calculate gdp so you can uh, it's just different perspectives nothing more than that in fact uh, so you can either look at it in terms of if you're looking at you know national income you can look at it as to how people are spending money okay right so you calculate the total expenditure of all the people so that is the expenditure method or you can look at it in purely in income terms how much money each person is earning in a given year or uh, finally you can also look at it from the producer's angle so how much value is added for each of the this uh, and product and all these things should in theory be add up to the same it does uh, you you remove errors and omissions and you will have that because you know sometimes income can be earned uh, which is not recorded sometimes you can spend something which is not recorded let's say you spend on something illegal and so on but largely the errors and omissions is quite small it's not really big okay the gdp calculations still seem very complex and people talk about things like real growth and nominal growth could you walk us through calculations for a simple case where say the entire indian economy only grows apples let's imagine that a country is producing only apples one good which is apples and they produce about 100 apples this year and the price of each apple is 10 rupees right okay. so the total gdp of this economy would be 1000 rupees okay that's this year that's this year so next year let's say they produce 120 apples okay. and the price has gone up to uh, 15 rupees per apple okay so the, we're talking about uh gdp which is now 1800 1800 rupees right but that is actually false because uh it doesn't give you such a true picture because the price has changed right right uh so what and price change doesn't really improve welfare of anyone yeah that's just inflation right that's inflation so now what you really want to know is how much has the economy you know progressed despite inflation so you want to kind of factor out inflation so sort of you keep prices constant then. you keep prices constant so, so now, now Let's go back. So you are talking about one twenty apples. It's still at ten rupees. Yeah. So now you do one twenty apples at ten rupees. It's thousand two hundred rupees. So that's real growth of two hundred rupees or twenty percent. Yeah. All right. So uh, so that's how it works, right? So that's you right. you sort of control for prices and see how not just apples but every good and uh, service in the economy grows. Precisely. So you that's why you have something called a base year. So now you index. this gdp at a particular year where prices were relatively constant and then you uh, basically you measure growth only in terms of quantity at the price of the base year 
Okay. So now, how is this measured? So you told us about three ways, income, expenditure, and production. Uh, but in, say, India, how do you actually measure these things? So let's look at the expenditure method, for example, right? So that is broken down into consumption. That is the sum total of how much people are consuming goods. Okay. Uh, investment. How much are companies and even individuals investing uh, the, into, you know, basically increasing the fixed assets. Okay. And then you have government expenditure. And finally, you know, exports and imports. So you kind of uh, minus import from exports. That's, that's how you earn money, right? right? So you take all of this and you get a good idea of what people are spending. But of course, in a country as large as India, how do you, you know, get the sum total of how much people are spending? It, it is almost impossible to get that. So what you essentially do is you, you'll have a basket of goods in a particular area. Uh, and you get a sample size, you collect that, and then you can extrapolate that to the rest of the country. So there are surveys which look at consumption. Of course, government, you get a lot of data on what yeah. they're uh, spending on, I guess, revenue, expenses, you know, salaries and so on, and on like future investments, yeah. roads and stuff, yeah. right? And then investment, you have a database, you have uh, the national database for companies, and then you take a subsample of that and you say, you know, how much did they invest? Uh, and how much did they, you know, invest in a given year. So you'll get an idea of the investment. And finally, exports and imports, again, you have very good data right. uh, because balance of payments account is very precise. Mm -hmm. So you add that and then you extrapolate all of that into a national income account and you get essentially an estimate of GDP. Right. Now, uh, if you say India is a $2 trillion economy, it doesn't mean that India is exactly getting $2 trillion. It is an estimate also and done. In any country, actually, not right. just India. And these estimates actually keep updating, right? So even our GDP numbers, don't they keep getting revised even for the same uh, time period? Yeah, absolutely. You have uh, revised estimates. Sometimes you have, you know... Starts with something called the advanced estimate in no. India. So you have an advanced estimate, basically that's a projection okay. of how much it's going to be for this year. And essentially, you need that to budget the government expenses. Right. Uh, and then you have an actual estimate that comes out and then you have revised estimates. Now, sometimes you can have a revised estimate, uh, a revision of a revision of a revision of an estimate, right? Okay. So sometimes five years later, you can go back and say, okay, we just found out this piece of data which fits in, so we're going to change it a bit. So, but tell me something. I mean, our economies keep evolving, right? So when you said that there is some basket of goods that you measure, uh, for example, with... Um, with companies, back in 2005, you didn't have Flipkart, you didn't have Amazon in India, you didn't have any e-commerce companies. So if you just picked a few IT companies and then did some projection, that would make no sense for India today, right? Absolutely. Uh, so GDP estimates also, I mean, uh, how it is collected and how it is calculated also keeps revising. Okay. You can't stick to you know what you were doing in 2000. So the basket of goods does evolve with time. So you so uh, does that go into this base year thing as well? So currently India is in this 2011 base, base year, year. yeah, uh, which already is probably outdated. You know, you need to change it again, but uh, it's better than 2004-5, which was right. previously right. Uh, so the basket of goods does change depending on you know standard consumption habits of you know your normal Joe on the street. And uh, similarly, a basket of companies will change. Yeah, so in, in that way, they try to keep up to date. But then there are caveats. Um, GDP is not a very good thing at, you know, uh, capturing technical innovation. Okay, tell, tell us more. So uh, let's imagine that in 2007, uh, there's about 100 computers which were being produced in, in the country. And in 2017, you have 200 computers produced. Okay. Okay, so it's a growth of 100%. But essentially... 
I would say that it, the actual growth is a lot more than that because what a computer could do in 2007 is far less than what a computer can do in 2017. Right. Right. So you're not just doing this just for price and look at quantity growth where the fundamental to, thing has changed so much in it, quality. It's almost two different products. Right. Whereas right. a pencil today was pretty much the pencil, pencil in, in 1950s ago. also right it's not changed that much but uh, something like a even a mobile phone you look at a mobile phone in the 90s and you look at a mobile phone in 2017 they're vastly different products but gdp cannot actually capture that it can only capture number of mobile phones that have been produced in right. the country interesting so we've sort of naturally gotten here after sort of looking at what the gdp is what the limitations of it are which is what seem to be most people's problems right i yeah. mean a whole host of issues. I mean, so what are some of the big limitations that you see? I think the biggest limitation of uh, GDP is that it cannot it it cannot account for non-monetary activities. Okay. So if you're measuring economic activity, it necessarily has to be a monetary activity. So right. where money has been exchanged, but that's not always the case. Right. Uh, the simple example of you know uh, work done by homemakers in any particular household uh, it's a lot of work right it adds to the well-being of a lot of people i mean you know you get and it food. makes the household better off it makes the household better off and so on but it does not get captured into the gdp at all okay so i guess even things like subsistence farming may not get captured in the gdp right uh, not at you have all. a homestead you grow coconuts and something at home and you eat them yeah so that doesn't come into the it GDP. doesn't come into the gdp at all so even if all that happened between now and later was you started selling the stuff just the act of selling increases the gdp exactly so uh, i mean the, i'm just reminded of an old joke in economics right if you actually marry your maid you will reduce the country's gdp <laughs> because before you were paying her to uh, you know, wash your vessels, but now you're not going to pay her. Okay. So it actually reduces the country's so misogynistic joke. Is yeah, the feminists are very angry now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some other economists came up with it, not me. All right. Clearly, household work, non-monetary work doesn't get captured. Illicit trade, any kind of illegal economic activity, even though it's economic activity, doesn't get captured in the GDP. So if you're buying uh, alcohol in a state which has prohibition, it doesn't get captured in gdp prostitution doesn't get captured in gdp so okay. and um what about the informal economy in india i mean it's so big right so i'll be saying that we're not measuring it at all we have proxies and we have estimates but okay. they're really bad estimates uh okay. so no you know the formal economy is itself is an estimate and the informal economy is a worse estimate you know uh, you basically try to capture it through proxies because the money does finally you know come somewhere you try to capture that and so on but it is a messy affair and we have you know really really bad clue about what's going on in our informal sector yeah i, I was also seeing uh, i think when hurricane sandy hit the united states there was a lot of chatter about how uh, you know the fact that the hurricane has hit us and now reconstruction is happening actually means that the gdp is going up yeah <laughs> right whereas the country has suffered an immense loss so is the fact here that gdp actually measures income and activity more than wealth and something like a hurricane natural disaster something actually hits at your wealth yeah you're you're absolutely right on that count so uh, in the same way that you know gdp in a way if you just stick to gdp uh, then it kind of rewards depletion of our natural resources because let's say you you just tear down the entire amazon tomorrow and use it for uh, timber 
the GDP will go up of Brazil of uh, and so on, right? So why most environmentalists are skeptical of GDP exactly. and obsession with economic growth? Absolutely, right? absolutely. But how do you change this? Since the GDP is so flawed a measure, I mean, you have told us about the amount of artifice involved in it, right? Some assumption for the informal economy in India, some assumption for um, illegal stuff that is happening, um, all kinds of assumptions for, you know, completely ignoring the amount of environmental damage that is happening. So should is it time to get rid of the GDP? Absolutely not. It is still the best estimate that we have uh, or the only measurement that we have of economic activity, right? Uh, if not, how do you even conduct fiscal policy or monetary policy or how do businesses know whether to invest in a particular country or a state or not? Uh, how do consumers know but what then is... But can't we come up with a better measure if it's so flawed? I mean, why not? Yes, if you come up with a better measure, it's always welcome. But as of now, GDP is the only kind of reliable statistic which is out there, which is very helpful for a lot of people. And uh, But what, at least how do we improve it? I mean, we've been doing this GDP for now since the Second World War. Uh, can't we do better? We can. So you can add different dimensions to the GDP or either, you know, add to the GDP itself or you can have separate indices as well, which looks at other things. So you like, can... You can probably have an environmental uh, index for environmental uh, destruction or something of that sort. But given the sort of prominence of the GDP, is there a way to incorporate the environment in? You can, for example, uh, have a net domestic product, right? Okay. So Which, it's, that's already calculated, right? Yeah. So you. So can, what is it netting? It's netting out depreciation of mostly fixed assets. So, okay. you know, machinery and so on and other assets in the country. So, so but, what you're saying is like, if you produce a lot of economic activity from, say, a steam engine or a or train engine, and uh, oh, in the process of it, the train engine gets screwed. Yeah. Right? So, the net uh, GDP, so sorry, the NDP, NDP will capture that wear and tear. Yeah, that, it'll capture that wear and tear. So, can you do the same thing with environment? So, can you have, firstly, have a stock of, you know, your environmental assets. So, this can be rivers, trees, mountains, and so on. And when that and is... Put, somehow put some economic value, value on to it. it. And you can. Economists are extremely good at putting value on everything. Well, yeah, that reminds me. I mean, I think the uh, US Environmental Protection Agency has a dollar figure for the value of a human, human life. life. Yeah. Which uh, I think deeply offends a lot of people. <laughs> sure. But ultimately, maybe I'm guessing it's useful for cost-benefit analysis, right? Absolutely. How much policies, do you yeah. invest to save a human life? Yeah, absolutely. And so, somebody has to take that hard call. Yeah. So in the same way, can't we do the same thing for environment? And that for me, I mean, you know, if not solves the problem entirely, it'll give you a much better idea of what kind of environmental destruction are we facing and uh, is it worth it and so on. So a net figure would probably give you that uh, better estimate. So essentially you're saying the answer is more measurement and not less? More measurement of everything. We In India, we don't have employment figures at all, whereas employment figures, unemployment rate, which comes out in the first Friday of every month in the US, practically runs, the, you know, it's, it's, it's the most important figure. 
right and we have nothing we have no we have once in 5 years through the nsso sample or something like that right, right. Uh, and even our gdp is quarterly but that's not as good as the yearly figures yeah exactly so the quarterly estimates tend to get revised a lot more obviously and so on so we need more measurement of everything uh from unemployment and we we're still talking about the national level now right yeah. how, how does it play out uh, subnationally isn't there something called the gsdp yeah. the gross state, state domestic product you don't even want to get there okay. <laughs> it's murky uh, states are improving uh because there are you know certain conditions from the central government if they want to get transfers and so on so states are improving in terms of you know how they calculate the gdp uh but it's it's still very very imprecise the, i'm told that they don't add up right if you add up all the gsdps of all the indian states they don't maybe the union <laughs> territories also if you can yeah. i don't think they add up to the national gdp absolutely not <laughs> what about lesser what about our districts what about our cities uh many municipal councils actually do not even maintain uh good records of, of their expenditure of their income so they don't even follow a double accounting method so uh, forget the entire city as an economy right? yeah you have no clue how a city grows uh there's very bad measurement of how city goes i mean that's why people are using but this all... is this is not true everywhere right i think the, the us does have a system where it measures city, city level, level or me, at, at least some metropolitan metropolitan area level gdp you do and get. it makes a lot of sense because the city is a very natural economic unit exactly yeah, right? yeah so yeah. so i would guess that so if india has to grow at 8% uh, per year Bangalore has to probably grow at twenty percent. Easy twenty five. I mean, we call these the engines of growth. growth right? Yeah, <laughs> but we really but, have no idea what their mileage is, what their what the contribution or the mileage. Or we don't know at all. I mean, uh, you can know how much Bangalore is contributing towards some taxes or something of that sort, but you don't know how much it's contributing to growth. Yeah, I mean, there are these vague debates in Karnataka about how uh, Bangalore is sixty percent of Karnataka's GDP or seventy percent, but I don't know where people pull these numbers out of. No clue. I and think so. Yeah. And so, even one year where say Bangalore's growth dips to ten percent, that's bad. Right? It's bad. That'll that'll have an effect not only on Karnataka but I think even on India. Right. So okay. So we want a lot more measurement at a lot more levels, and yes. I think other countries are doing this. China, I think, has started. Yeah. City level GDP. City level, and then the townships and so on. They're starting to measure their economic activity at a much closer level. So you can know. And one of the reasons is that their incentive system is again linked to growth. So you know you get more funds from the center if you grow at. Right. Whereas our cities, I mean, there is really no one looking at the economic growth of a city. Right. I mean, at best you're looking at public service delivery. Yeah. On better roads, better traffic, and yes, all of that results in economic growth. But similarly, there's no one looking at attracting jobs to any of our cities. No. There's some vague <laughs> investment summits that happen at the state level, which half of them don't translate into anything concrete. At more all. than half, I think. Yeah, more than half. I'm being generous here. Yes. you know there is uh, this book by debra stone called policy paradox and it's one of the books that we recommend to all of our public policy students she has this interesting thing in uh, where she says that numbers give you a sense of certainty about very complex topics right so i mean like we started i mean this economy is this beast that we really can't touch and feel and understand properly but suddenly we say it is growing at 6.2% right i mean there is this amazing sense of uh, precision and accuracy <laughs> yeah. that is involved where you reduce this complex beast into that but clearly that still has value you're better off with that 6.2% rather than knowing nothing knowing nothing absolutely i mean even though with all its flaws uh, uh, you know an ease of doing business number 
is what government's target now. I mean, yes, it has a yeah, lot of flaws, etc. It's, it's a new number, which is suddenly, yeah, has meaning for a lot of people. So, yeah, you can co- reduce complex ideas into a single number, and governments target that, and it's it's you know you can get. Uh, so the answer is more and better numbers, and abs- not anti numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's our show. Thanks for coming in, Anupam. Thank you so much. If we haven't spoken enough about the GDP for you today, and you want to learn more. We would strongly recommend that you read this book, GDP: A Brief but Affectionate History, by Diane Coyle. If you liked what Anupam Manohar had to say about the GDP, do check out episode fourteen, where Anupam tells us what's happening to the Indian economy this year. Episode eleven, where he talks to us about the Indian Reserve Bank's new inflation-targeting policy, and also episode nine, where Anupam unpacks the goods and services tax. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pragati Podcast. Send us your questions and comments and brickbats by writing to podcast at thinkpragati dot com, or find us both on Twitter as at hamsneeh and at zeusisdead. Check out our full archives at thinkpragati dot com or ibmpodcast dot com. You can find the Pragati Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're there everywhere. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. Sorry to say, but there's been a slight delay due to the apocalypse having suddenly begun. As you can see, there's death, destruction, and chaos taking place all around us. But don't you worry; food and drinks will be served shortly, and I would recommend checking out IVM Podcasts to get some of your favorite Indian podcasts. We'll keep you going till this whole thing blows over. Thank you.